HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Heritage Radio Network on tour. We're broadcasting live from Feast Portland. I'm Kat Johnson, and this is our final episode that we are recording here in Portland. We're all a little bit sad, but we're mostly happy because it's been a really, really amazing weekend. Before we start our final interview, I'd like to thank Travel Portland, Stream PDX, and the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage possible. And a big shout out to Aaron Parecki, who has been engineering all of our shows. We could not have done this without him. Right now, I am joined by Maya Lovelace. Um, She is the chef behind May and the forthcoming Yonder. Welcome, Maya. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. So, Maya, you and I have something in common. We're Mm -hmm. both Southerners. It's true. So, where are you from? And... Tell us about your journey from where you're from to Portland. <laughs> I'm originally from a very small town on the coast of North Carolina called Beaufort. It's a, a really tiny little place. Um, I grew up there, and then when I was 16 years old, I moved off to the big city, Atlanta, Georgia, by myself. I uh, had a few wild and crazy years there, um, and then ended up moving to Charleston, South Carolina, where I spent, I want to say, seven or eight years it's hard to pin these things down sometimes. Um, and I started cooking when I was probably 16 or 17 in Atlanta, working at like little health food shops and things like that. Uh, ended up working my way through some kitchens in Charleston, eventually working for Sean Brock, one of my mentors. And then I ended up moving to Portland uh, because I wanted a change. And I've been here for uh, about six and a half years at this point. So tell me about kind of the directions that Sean pointed you in when you were looking to move out of the South and, and, and how did, where where did you go? What drew you to Portland? Um, I mean, honestly, Sean, Sean is an amazing person and was really supportive. Um, I feel like it's rare to be in a position where you're thinking of leaving a job and to have your boss actually be like, Oh, let me find a place for you. You know, I feel like, especially in the culinary world, chefs want desperately to hang on to their people. So anyway, just shout out to Sean for that because he's great. Um, But I was kind of trying to whittle down some places. Um, I wanted to move out of the South. Uh, I wanted to give myself a chance to miss it, I think. Um, And so I was looking at a few different places and I kind of whittled that list down to uh, Portland, which obviously won in the end. Um, Chicago, which is a place where I still haven't been, which is ridiculous. And then also Sydney, Australia. Um, Sean basically told me at that point that uh, Dave Chang was about to open Sayobo. 
right? Siobo, Siobo. yeah. I always say Siobo, and I know it's wrong, but it's that little country twang comes out every once in a while. I'm like, <laughs> what is that, Siobo? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so he basically was like, oh, you might, you know, you could probably go work for Dave. I'll set you up. Or, you know, obviously there's tons of places in Chicago. But I ended up kind of feeling like I wanted to check out Portland because I had a little bit of time off from work and it seemed like a, a nice trip to take, a place I had wanted to visit for a long time. So I ended up coming here and uh, staging with Naomi, Naomi Pomeroy, sorry, stuttering, uh, over at Beast. Um, Sean set me up with her. And then I ended up coming here to work for her. And what was that like? What was that experience working for Naomi like? Uh, it was great. It was great. I learned so much. I was the sous chef there for two years. Um, and I learned a ton. Um, it was a really intense job, but I, I took a lot of a lot of lessons from it. And I feel like it definitely was really crucial for who I am today. So it's it's kind of crazy to think about that you used your vacation to stage, which is yeah. <laughs> if you don't know what staging means, it's like working for free. That's true. Um so that's that's like pretty incredible that you spent your time off um, of your job to come in <laughs> and work. But did you have some downtime during that trip as well to like fall in love with other things about Portland? I did. I did. Fortunately, you know, when I was staging at Beast, I didn't have to work crazy long days or anything like that. They were really great about that. So I would go to work and I would kind of prep throughout the day or go to the farmer's market with them or what have you. And then I would just kind of go out and explore. And there were all these restaurants that I had heard of that I wanted to check out. So I got to go eat at like Pock Pock and some other places like that. Um, and, you know, also spend some time with the people I was working with at Beast and kind of get to know the people in the city a little bit better or get like a nice glimpse into what uh, life was like for cooks here. With that first trip, did your wheels start turning at that point about what restaurant you might want to open one day? No, <laughs> not at all. I mean, honestly, I, I feel like up until about two years ago, I did not want to open a restaurant. Why? Um... I feel like there's this thing when you are a cook or I guess an employee in general in restaurants where you'll see the owner come in day after day and some days they come in and they'll just look at you and they'll say, don't ever open a restaurant. You know what I mean? And I feel like I heard that so many times and I internalized it and I was just like, okay, like obviously this is not a fun thing. There's no reason for me to do this. I'll just keep being a chef at somebody else's restaurant forever. Well, um, then what changed to make you decide that you it was something you wanted to and could do well <laughs> after existing as a pop-up with may for two years um i got kind of feisty and just felt like i really needed my own space i felt like we had done pretty much everything that we could um existing you know in someone else's kitchen someone else's living room basically and i wanted my own home um to kind of be able to bring a little bit more of you know my grandmother's stories and recipes to life and also to be able to just feed more people we've been really fortunate that there's been such a demand for what we do here there's so many people that want to come visit us and while it's great to be that place that sells out all your tickets in five minutes it's also hard because you have so many people who want to come in and have that chance to connect and not being able to give them that is really frustrating and kind of a bummer so that's basically that's that's the big reason so tell us about the, the food that you're cooking at your restaurant. So like the food I'm currently cooking at May or the food that we will be cooking in the future? Ooh, Ooh. both. Ooh. <laughs> Let's go so, past, present, future. Perfect. So <laughs> when we first started May, I started it with my partner, Zach Leffler. Um, he's 
basically just started out as being kind of a good sport. He wasn't a cook. He was a barista, um, but he had always loved food, and his parents spent a lot of time in the South. Um, they both went to NC State. Both of my parents went to NC State. It's kind of a funny Keeping coincidence. It all in the family. I know. <laughs> um, but basically, when we started, I just wanted to do a tribute dinner for my grandmother. Um, when I moved out to Portland, um, I spent all my money, you know, staying in hotels along the way and spending all my money on gas and, you know, that deposit on my first apartment and all that stuff. Um, and after I moved to Portland, about six months later, my grandmother may passed away. Um, and at that point I had spent all my money and I did not have the money to take a trip home and I could not get the time off from work to go to her funeral. So I felt like I kind of needed to have some form of penance um, some way to pay a tribute to her on my own. Um, so I wanted to just do a dinner that was inspired by her table, um, the dinners that I remember having at her house every time I would go to see her. She was obviously a master of hospitality. Um, so I had this idea, like I said, doing one dinner, maybe two, like a true pop-up, like a couple times. And the response was just so strong after the first time that we just kind of kept going. And uh, yeah. So we've been cooking, um, definitely kind of my take on Southern cuisine, um, Southern Appalachian cuisine specifically. A lot of the things that I learned at Husk, but also a lot of the things from uh, my family background, things I remember eating at my grandma's house. Um, and just kind of like taking all of those old recipes and classic Southern dishes and kind of twisting them slightly, using all of the amazing produce that we have here in Portland. Uh, Portland is very much a town where everything is local all the time. All the produce is locally grown, all the meats locally raised, all that stuff. So basically, it's kind of the closest thing to like true Appalachian cooking that I think we could be doing all the way across the country. Because to me, Appalachian food is all about, you know, what's growing in your garden, what's growing on your farm, what's growing in the woods that you can kind of turn into dinner for your family. So we're doing the same thing here, using everything that's in season, um, preserving things, you know, building a pantry and just kind of trying to keep those those recipes and those memories that I have as a kid alive. Can you tell me maybe a few of those recipes, like uh, some examples of dishes? Oh, my goodness. Um yeah. <laughs> as far as really classic things that we do, like kind of classic Appalachian food, we're known for our fried chicken, um, which is not something that we intended to be known for. It's something that we intended to kind of switch out all the time. But it turns out people really like fried chicken. So we stuck with it. Uh, but our chicken is like buttermilk brined and we skillet fry it in a blend of chicken fat and bacon fat and lard. Like it's it's very indulgent, but it's also like very, very homey. It's something that takes a lot of time. I feel like you don't really get fried chicken like that in a restaurant because it's a home cooked dish, you know. So that um, we do um, a lot of work with like grains cornmeal specifically we do like really great just kind of old school southern appalachian cornbread no sugar no flour stone ground white cornmeal um, we serve that with like sorghum molasses and country ham smoked salt like um that's basically our take on bread service we do kilt lettuce which is a dish that i feel like you don't see in restaurants ever have you ever had that i'm not familiar with that okay so kilt lettuce is basically kind of a salad of whatever greens you have around normally lettuce but also like dandelion or kind of whatever's in season um you just toss that up with a little bit of raw onion or scallion uh, a little vinegar sugar and salt and then you just pour like smoking hot bacon fat over it whoa that's and that, so that's what kills wilts, it. it wilts it that's why it's called kilt you know, kilt like yeah, wilt, like kilt. 
<laughs> I love that. Yeah. And we um, we normally put some kind of seasonal fruit in it just to add like a pop of, of like a little bit of sweetness, Brightness. a little bit of acid, a little different texture. Yeah. And then we finish it with like seasoned ice cold buttermilk, which kind of just like... I don't know, ties the whole thing together in a really beautiful way. It's traditionally served with like a glass of buttermilk and a piece of cornbread. Wow. In my experience. Um, wow. So it's kind of a cool way to kind of pull a little bit of that in. So yeah, things things like that. But then also things that are a little bit more kind of adventurous and a little bit less typically Southern. Mm. Well, let's talk about the future. Yes. Tell us about the new concept you're opening. I'm really excited. We've had, we've had our restaurant in the works for about a year at this point. Um, I think it was actually... A year ago yesterday that I had a meeting that I didn't know was actually my first meeting with my landlord and it was like a total surprise and it was great. <laughs> but That's something we, you don't hear all the time. Yeah. But with my landlord, it was great. Well, we thought that we were going in to pitch our idea and we just kind of, you know, Zach and I were just doing our thing and we were talking about our vision and she was like, yeah, but where do you want the walls? Like, can you just draw them on this piece of paper? And I remember because it was my 30th birthday and I like had a panic attack. It was great. That's awesome. <laughs> it was really funny. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's fantastic. Um, but uh, the restaurant that we're opening is kind of a two-pronged restaurant, two very different takes on Southern cuisine. Um, the front restaurant is going to be called Yonder, and that's our take on a really classic meat and three, um, which is like one of my favorite styles of restaurants ever. You know, you go in, you get your main dish, you get your couple sides and your cornbread or biscuit or whatever, sit down with like a giant glass of sweet tea, and you're just the happiest person in the world. Um, so Yonder is hopefully going to be like that, but obviously using... All local Portland produce, um, kind of keeping that same attention to detail that we've become known for at May. And then in the back, we're keeping a 24-seat dining room where we're going to continue to do these big family-style dinners that we do at May. Um, and since we're moving kind of our Southern classics up to the front with Yonder, we're going to kind of delve deeper into kind of like old recipes, like really traditional Appalachian cuisine at May. And preservation is a big part of Appalachian cuisine, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And can you describe a little bit of what makes preserves and pickling in Appalachian cuisine unique? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I think that there are some things that are very specifically Appalachian in the pantry. Like one of the things that we do is sour corn, which isn't something that you really find anywhere else. Uh, it's basically sweet corn that's um, salted, just like how you'd make sauerkraut. And then you just let it ferment. So it goes a little bit fizzy, a little bit tart, a little bit kind of cheesy almost. Um, that's something that we do that I haven't really seen anywhere else. Um, obviously, you know, life in Appalachia uh, in the mountains is kind of hard traditionally. So it's essentially like there's just a season where you have food and then the rest of the year you won't really have much. So there's just this long tradition. And I feel like it's less specific recipes that make um, preservation in Appalachia special it's more just the the sheer volume and the sheer focus on preservation as a way to make sure that your family gets to eat for the whole year round so whether it's country ham whether it's dried corn cornbread soup beans all that kind of stuff that's all kind of based in preservation is there any major difference between preserving as like a home cook and preserving as a professional chef that sticks out to you I mean, the, the big one is that uh, as a restaurant, you have to kind of abide by the rules of health departments, <laughs> which is not something that grannies have had to deal with traditionally. Um, so there are definitely some struggles there. There are specific licenses that you have to get and things like that. Um, 
And that's something that we will be working on as we open the restaurant and we delve more into that kind of really old school stuff. Is there anything that you can't do in the restaurant that you really want to be able to do because it's just there's too much like red tape involved? Country hams. Country ham. There's nobody there's nobody making country ham in the Northwest. Um, so we order all of our hams from Alan Button, which mm-hmm. is obviously great. And we everything that he makes is delicious. But it would be really nice to be able to kind of do that same thing where we pull in Northwestern influence and kind of, uh, you know, make a mishmash of Appalachia and Portland. What would you envision like a Northwestern country ham to look like? I don't really know, honestly. And I think that's one of the fun parts of it is that we would get a chance to explore and kind of feel our way around and find those flavors. That's kind of how we build recipes and the foods that we make in general here is I'll normally have a spark of an idea, which is either something I remember eating at my grandma's house or reading about or hearing, you know, other chefs that I've worked for talk about. That's the spark. And then I see an ingredient at the market and I think like, oh, but what if we use that in place of this? And so it's kind of like a progressive experience of tying those things together. So, I mean, I, I wonder, I wonder if you know, we put like a little bit of coffee in like the salt mixture for our country ham or whatever, you know what I mean? I'm like really open to a lot of those kind of influences coming in. So we'll, we'll have to see if we get there. That would be incredible. And so, so obviously, I mean, you mentioned Sean Prox, one of your mentors, and he's, you know, continuing to push the boundaries of what you can do and yeah. speaking to, you know, you, these ideas that you have about trying to push forward Pacific Northwest cuisine in yeah. a really exciting new way. Is there anyone else anywhere in the country who you have your eye on as like, that's the kind of person innovating in a way that I find really inspiring? Oh my God. Oh, that's a really big question. Um, I feel like I am really inspired by a ton of chefs everywhere. I, I, I'm having a hard time <laughs> kind Narrowing of thinking of anyone specific. I find everybody really inspiring, long story <laughs> short. Um, but I, I think that there are a lot of cooks. There's a, kind of a big focus in our, our culinary moment right now of people taking things that are old and kind of making them new again. So anytime I see someone who's cooking based on memory and based on feel... Um, and then also using the techniques that they've learned over years and years in kitchens to kind of elevate the the food of their mother or their grandmother or whatever. That's that's what I really love. So let's talk a little bit before we wrap things up about um, about feast. Yes. And how many years have you participated in feast? This is my third year. And how how have you seen feast kind of like change the restaurant landscape in Portland, if at all? Oh what God. do you love about it? Yeah. Um, I think Feast Portland is amazing. It's my favorite food festival I've ever taken part in. Um, I think that it's really special because Portland has a community of chefs that are, um, I mean, very much a community for lack of a better word. Everyone's really focused on kind of lifting each other up. It's not very competitive here. Whereas I feel like in other cities where I've lived and cooked, it's very, very competitive. You know, like there are cooks from different restaurants, like don't want to hang out with each other. It's, I know it's really weird, but here in Portland, it's very community focused. So what we have at Feast is we have not only all these amazing events where people are, are cooking together, but also on the side, there are all these other dinners popping up. There's collaborations everywhere and everyone's just really excited to kind of get to come out of our restaurants for a second and to get to spend time with each other, like make some great memories and cook something delicious. So I think that it's very, um, 
I'm trying to think of the right way to say this. It almost feels a little bit selfish for the chefs, I think, sometimes. Like, in a good way. Like, it feels like we're getting to have the fun. And it's just nice that there are people around to let us have that fun. Um, so it's great. I, I love working with Feast. Um, obviously, it's great to be a part of the great charity work that they're doing. But it's also just kind of fun to watch them continue to push this city forward. Because I honestly think that Portland has grown a lot as a result of Feast. As a result of all these people coming into town and saying, like, hold on, wait a second. What's this place? What's Portland? Um, and finding out that we have a really incredible diverse culinary scene here where there are tons of different things happening. So I think that uh, Feast is pretty responsible for the kind of explosion of cooking here in Portland. Um, and I am doing, let's see, I did the opening party on Wednesday, 80s versus 90s on Thursday. Last night we did a fried chicken pop-up at uh, our friend Dana Frank's place, Bar Norman. And then today we did the Franklin and Friends barbecue with Aaron Franklin. And so, do you have more to go or are you done? I'm done. This is your last thing. This is it. My interview with you guys. This Amazing. is my this is my last hurrah as well. So oh. we're all in this together. <laughs> what a good way to end things. I know. It feels really good. Thank you for coming by. Oh my God. Of course. My pleasure. Anytime. Um, I have been speaking with Maya Lovelace of May and forthcoming Yonder here in Portland, Oregon. Maya, thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much. All right. And this wraps up our live broadcasts of HRN on tour from Feast Portland. Once again, I will thank Travel Portland, Stream PDX, and our amazing engineer, Aaron Parecki, the Julia Child Foundation, and Hazel Fern Sellers for making our coverage possible. 